Hello listeners, welcome to episode number 32 of the Portsmouth Running Podcast. I am your host or co-host, Daniel Del Piccolo, and joining me as always is the lovely... Uh, David Harvey, that has hey. not been listening to metal today. He hasn't? So, no. <laughs> what the hell is going on, man? I know, I've been listening to some deep house, Dan, and trying to get like, I don't know, while I was doing the house housework just now, yep. I got deep house and it just made me kind of like float around the house like I was at a festival so nice. good day <laughs> very good it's quite like it's quite energetic music I guess so if you're doing anything around the house and it always always helps to do that I guess you use your your metal and and cannibal corpse for when you cook because it makes it makes it makes the curries hotter yeah it makes it all, all the more spicy doesn't it <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to kick off um just by letting everyone know today that we have um, a show lined up with a couple of guests first uh, on the show after Dave and I have a bit of a catch-up we have got a Ben Clark on the show who is the Coros UK market manager and then we get to speak to the lovely Rhiannon Dunlop from the City of Portsmouth Athletics Club um, so there we go. So we've got a, a good show lined up, and yeah, hopefully we don't we don't bore everyone to tears with our update, Dave. But what have you been up to? Uh, not a hell of a lot, really. Um, do you know what? This week I've been putting up Christmas decorations, and we haven't got a hell of a lot of them. Um, yep. And I've just put like badly sellotaped some lights to the wall, and the <laughs> light, the lights are kind of like too long for the bit of um, like I don't know door frame that we've got. So yeah wondering whether it's okay just to drape them around everything else and it looks a bit studenty if I'm honest but uh, <laughs> it's amazing how sellotape is always like useful for that kind of stuff when it gets to Christmas time people yeah. are sellotaping cards up to the stairs and yeah uh, we, we use sellotape quite a lot and then you come to peel it off and the paint comes with it <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I'm sure I'm sure that um a lot of the uh paint will come off when we them down in January and bits of wall and bits of picture and stuff like that and that lights probably won't even work by then so probably probably yeah uh, did you guys put up your tree as well yeah we got do you know what there's a place down in Liss I think it is that I can't remember the name of it I think it's Rother High Tree Barn or okay. tree Farm or something like that and during our most recent lockdown they said um that they're going to put a load of trees out the side of the front first come first serve to do a donation to us and I think it was like a charitable donation so Heather went down there and picked up two massive Christmas trees <laughs> the smallest car it was like it was ridiculous and so we got one from my sister and one for us and it's a bit of a weird shape mm-hmm. and I've got a lot of decorations but you know good on them they, they did a good good job there so that was that's quite excellent cool. yeah so we didn't pay for it this year oh that's that's really cool i think you like i've noticed as well some of those real christmas trees you get have like really odd shapes to them so you get some some like really kind of like like wide ones and really thin ones and they kind of like bulge in the center and all sorts of strange shapes and yeah this one this one is definitely like this the spindly rejected tree that they probably kind of saw and thought oh my god we're not gonna be able to sell that so you know I'm, i'm all up for inclusion and accepting everything as it is so you know it's perfect for me <laughs> nice nice well we've we've put our plastic tree up which is um comes out the box and the, the loft once a year yeah and at the, uh, currently at the moment in our house we have this this ongoing battle and fight about mm. what goes on top of the christmas tree whether it's um this this oh. really kind of ugly looking angel that we've got or whether it's a star yeah um so the kids keep 
keep pulling a chair up to the to the Christmas tree, standing on it, ripping whatever's off off the top of it, and then hiding it around the house. Yeah. So, so it's well, become this game at the moment. I would I would normally say go for the most metal looking thing, but you've instantly just kind of done a little bit of a segue into running inadvertently there, Dan, because at the moment of our Christmas tree, we've got a fluff a goat that's wearing a Christmas hat. And the goat was actually bought in La Palma a couple of days after it did Transvolcania a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. And we, when we were getting all the Christmas decorations out the other day, they were like, I, I haven't bought any of these. These are all Heathers, yeah? Okay. Other than the uh, Kiss baubles, you know, the band Kiss, Gene Simmons and that, I bought some, like, decorations. Yep. Off, because, obviously, they're Kiss rule. Um, <laughs> but out came the most grotesque fairy and I thought oh there's no way that's going on the top that is it's disgusting it looks like it's so tacky yeah so Heather went into the next room and came back with a goat that she had called David okay <laughs> gothic heavy metal looking goat at the top of ours or in a Santa's hat so that's amazing cool. dude I love <laughs> it you've got to, you've got to find something odd for the top of the Christmas tree I think so um I think so yeah, yeah. I might go uh, shopping next week. Man. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna. I went into some this shop the other day down Albert Road in Southsea. Yeah. Uh, it's I think it's called Headcase. Right. And it was just before the the lockdown two came along, and they've got some strange, like amazing, fascinating stuff in there. But like quite bizarre. They've got a cabinet mm. with um. It's it's this company that that, that ethically stuff dead mice. Right. <laughs> there's a, there's a whole cabinet of these mice, and they're kind of in in like poses and stances and stuff where they used to be like real yeah. people's pets that have that have died or or ones that have they've have died in pet stores and they've basically yeah. dressed them up in like portsmouth university clothing and stuff wow it's, <laughs> it's the most bizarre <laughs> thing so i might get one of those for the top of the christmas tree yeah get a hocker one man yeah yeah i'll put a hocker shirt on it yeah, definitely <laughs> i think for me that, that that's next next to little johnny russell's or lord it john is. Russell. oh yeah yeah, that's one. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's a good Facebook page. I don't know if you've seen it. That's called Bad Taxidermy, and that's ah. people that have had a go at doing taxidermy on animals that have just completely got it wrong. So they've got like kind of like bulbous lumps coming out their side of the face, or have got cross eyes. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> it was it was terrible. I took my my daughter came into the shop as well that day, and she was horrified because she'd she? never seen anything like that before. The fact that it was a real a real mouse and someone's pet just horrified her she was just blown away so it was, it was oh. quite funny but yeah so um so listen how's how's running going well it's um it's it's getting better um i Good did a, yeah i mean I, I did a 15 miler the other day on sunday saturday even last week and my legs were agony but since then have felt much better um, and you know now the weather's come back it's good to kind of go out and do those runs that normally be quite enjoyable, but just get completely drenched and windswept. So yeah. I did um, 10 reps of Butzer Hill, like one and a half minute reps, and then relax on the way back down, followed by a 10 minute half marathon tempo run. Oh, gosh, it's hard. So, yeah, it was quite hard. But because the half marathon tempo wasn't going uphill, it felt it felt all right. Um, mm. weather was epic I mean like it, luckily the the wind was blowing me uphill a little bit so, okay. so it was kind of just helped but um 
yeah, it's going all right. I mean, it's all eyes on the tunnel now. Um, oh, dude, you've got that race coming up, man. I'll tell you what, wh- why don't you just give the listeners a, a little bit of an idea of what the tunnel is, just just briefly. So it's um, it's a tunnel near Bath where you do 200 miles inside this tunnel, just doing one mile reps up and up and back. Wow, so, dude, that is, that's crazy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, man. It's one of those ones where you look at it and you think, I, I don't know if I'd be able to do that. So... I might as well give it a go. That's what that's what draws you to it, Dave. You're you're drawn to these events and Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, you you've had a bit of an injury, haven't you? But we, we went out today and it seems to have been a little bit better for you. It has. Uh, I've had no pain since. Yeah, it was not it was really nice to catch up with you earlier, actually. It was it was great to get out. It was bloody freezing cold in that wind. So and I think I've missed <laughs> yeah. the last of the good weather, but yeah, it was yeah. it was great to get out. Um my injury I've been I've been behaving myself for, for one of the first times ever and not been putting any weight on my leg whatsoever. So I've kind of been hopping up the stairs on the other leg and just keeping the other leg elevated and just rested completely. Yeah. And it's made a difference. And I think also the fact that I haven't done any speed work for about four weeks. So I think effectively I've been resting for probably four weeks, I would, I would yeah. guess. Um, and I know there were a couple of cheeky runs and, and one long run added in between there, which set me back a bit. But no, it's been it's been good. And I think I'm... I'm finally done, which means I can probably come back fully on Monday next week. So that's yeah, great news. So I, I've always found that, um, you know, having a bit of enforced rest can be really good. But my word, doesn't it just ruin your kind of like, um, I wouldn't say ruins my mental health, but it just I get so fidgety and all I want to do is get out for a run. But I just can't. Um, and mm. it, feels really really unfair (laughs) yeah I think I think you're right but what's what's been different for me this time and I think it's really helped me is is the lockdown and the fact that the end of the year is coming and the fact that it's kind of almost kind of resigned to the fact that it's the end of the year there's not going to be much happening Mm. Um, I know there's still the Portsmouth Coastal virtual marathon happening and I know a few people are going to be running that probably on on the day the marathon was meant to take place so I've kind of had that in my sights as my as my kind of final run for the year so it's been a bit of a yeah a bit of a horrible end of the year but hey it, this this is this is part of the game i think and yeah. um i'm very stupid in the way that i run i, I put, always put my hands up for that but i just get so much so much enjoyment out of going out and running the way i do that um i i just you know i always foresee an inevitable injury coming at some point and i'm i've yeah. been okay with that up until now so yeah just just the way i roll uh, i'm yeah. just like I've, that <laughs> sometimes you know there's people we sort of end up pushing ourselves too far don't we just because yeah. at the time and then the i always find the, the first couple of times i went into like an 80 mile 90 mile week or something like that i just started to fall to pieces and went really really ugly so um uh like i think now i've learned that just to be much more careful when I'm doing sort of like those big mileage weeks and stuff. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, well, it's, it's good advice and I'm going to be sensible from now on, I think, and, and try and kick off this this next year with... Leave it when I see it. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Everyone always says that to me, like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> they always <laughs> they always send me messages on WhatsApp and stuff going, yeah, I see you've been out again and uh, doing your usual mileage, so <laughs> put my hand up. But 
No, listen, I think it's been great to catch up, Dave, and uh, we'll probably head off now into the interview with Ben Clark from Coros. And awesome. Yeah, you know, we've spoken about Coros watches a, a few times, and I know you've kind of been tempted here and there to maybe um, yeah. try and get one. But uh, have, have you ever have you ever worn one? Have you ever t- tried anybody else's? I haven't yet. No, but I, I, I've seen you, yours, and uh, you always sort of say how awesome the battery life is and how light they are. And then yep. was amazed the other day to see the the massive signing that they've got now. Like, yeah, with Elliot Kipchoge, which was yeah, yeah, just huge for them. And I think Ben Ben goes as he says in the interview, it's just you know his phone's been going ringing off the hook, and he's he's been super busy. But I yeah. think like the good the good work he's been doing at Coros because I think he was the the first and and may I think still only be the UK uh, the only Coros UK hired um, full timer. He's done a f- superb job with these watches, and I think they've they've yeah. had loads of partnerships recently with um with various company running companies and running shops, and and he's yeah. got the distribution line running well in the UK. So I it's mean, all promising. Got, it looks really good. They, they they've just come out of nowhere, haven't they? Really, um, pretty much. Yeah, kind of just to be able to produce this kind of watch that you know matches the likes of Garmin and Sunto is is incredible. Let's shoot across there and um, chat with Ben, and then we'll listen to our featured interview as well with Rhiannon Dunlop, which was which is just fascinating. Let's go across to there and uh, I'll chat to you afterwards. Hi, I'm really pleased to welcome to the Portsmouth Running Podcast, uh, the Coros Northern Europe Market Manager, Ben Clark. Ben, hello, how are you keeping? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Obviously, lockdown two is finished now, so uh, just enjoying, uh, hopefully you're going to be enjoying a weekend out and about a bit more with the family. So um, how about yourself? Are you all settled down before Christmas yet, or are you still tr- going at 100 miles an hour with everything going on for us? Yes, still at 100 miles an hour. E- emails on the phone just haven't stopped uh, constantly. Obviously, we had our Kipchoge uh, announcement of the week as well, so it's just been a constant roller coaster, um, 1,000 miles per hour. But it's been good, though. It's been good. It's been fun. I bet, yeah. It's a lot of kind of interesting avenues that, that Coros seem to be, have uh, been going down with um, with athletes and obviously new devices coming out and stuff. But I'm really, really keen to get into uh, discussions about all the devices and, and that kind of stuff as well. But just, um, I guess, to jump straight into it, and for those listeners out there who may not know Coros, because Coros is, I guess, fairly new compared to some of the other watch companies out there. Um, Coros, I'm, I'm going to try and summarize it as best as I can, Ben, but you'll probably correct me. I basically summarize it as a performance sports tech company that have created some incredible GPS running watches. Uh, and they're literally really taking the running world by storm. Um, is that a fairly accurate description enough? I think that's very, very accurate. Yeah, I mean, I think what we sort of try and do, um, especially is uh, in, in difference to a lot of the other brands out there, is we make watches for more specific purposes. So we make watches for the ultra runner. We make a watch for the track runner. We make a watch for the trail runner. Um, and by doing that, obviously, we can put in a lot more um, advanced and specific features, which would help that particular runner, um, as opposed to giving them loads of um generic you know not so useful features like a wallet and music and that sort of thing um so we we focus on the on the actual end user um which i think makes us very different to a lot of the brands um yeah but obviously um you know there's a, there's a specific use and purpose for our products yeah it's a really good point actually because a lot of a lot of the watches i was finding you know before i switched to to chorus myself which which i'll discuss later as well um i was finding that you know you'd buy a watch and it would have all these these added features and and things that you just you just didn't ever use. So um so I think you've you've hit on a really good point there. That the chorus really kind of hit the nail on the head with with the specific watches. So um 
maybe a little bit about your role. How, how did you come? How did you come to work for Coros? And uh, tell us a little bit about what you do there. Yeah, sure. So, um, so I started back in March. Before that, I was working um, in a graduate role for Garmin, uh, mm-hmm. Garmin UK Ireland, and I then sort of very quickly progressed into a into a product managerial role, and working on their Garmin Pay. Um, and then I sort of maybe got a little bit disenfranchised for the whole big corporate scene, and I I found a job with um, Coros um, and started with them as their UK market manager, just doing just the UK basically. Okay. And then a few months later, I sort of um, promoted into a Northern Europe market manager position, which is to manage the markets of obviously UK and Ireland, mm-hmm. um, Benelux, and also Scandinavia. Um, and so my job, I guess you'd say, is um, pr- practically, um, in layman's terms, head of marketing for um, Coros for this side of the water. Um, and I do everything from sponsorships to partnerships um, of dealing and onboarding for our ambassador team. Um, we do marketing and um, through our media partners, editorials, advertising, um, yep. everything basically marketing um, goes through me. So it's very interesting. It's a very fun time and uh, enjoying it. Yeah, I can, I, can, I can see why you're, why you're really, really busy now because that's a quite a lot of um, responsibility, I guess, on your shoulders. Yes. But, but like I say, really yeah. exciting. Yeah. I guess it's a really exciting uh, time to be to be a part of um, a growing company like Coros. So uh, yeah, yeah, really, really good. Absolutely, stuff. yeah. We've we've seen fast growth, um, and of course, being that it's kind of just me at the moment in in the UK, it you know it's 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 a lot to do, but it, it is fun, and I do enjoy it. And we've got a great team as well behind us in terms of ambassadors, um, mm. and that really helps and, and shines through. Yeah, for sure. So, so I guess moving on to the devices themselves, because I'm sure everyone will 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 want to hear, and all the listeners will want to know about the different types of running watch options, which I'm I'm hoping that we can get into. But I just wanted to make a, a kind of clear statement here that that I myself am a, a Coros ambassador in the UK. Um, people may be thinking that this interview is a little bit biased because of that reason, but um, I just wanted to kind of say that that I myself had my own Coros Apex uh, a year before I joined the team. Um, and you know, I've never been paid or, or or promoted with with gifted watches and stuff again. I do it purely because, I um, mean, I'm doing this interview purely because I I love and believe in the watches, and and they've really made a massive difference to my own um, ultra running. And and maybe just sharing the story again, Ben, that I think I told you a while back was, you know, when you're out when you're out doing like a hundred mile race or something, and you're kind of 12, 14, 16 hours into a run, the last thing I wanted to worry about, which I always did worry about, was was cables, and having to kind of dig into your your, your front pack and or your backpack and get cables out and you know it's amazing when you're really fatigued um to those levels how much that can just be annoying and really difficult to do especially in the dark and stuff so um for me when i switched from 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 garment to chorus it really was one of the best decisions i made last year and you know i haven't haven't looked back since and the watch has been really great so i'm, I'm speaking purely from from experience and and love for the product really so just wanted to kind of get that out of the way first <laughs> and i guess you've heard you've heard similar stories have you constantly daily yep absolutely <laughs> they're just but yeah no absolutely so it, it's yeah so it, it's people um who are coming from the more sort of um i mean i, I think if we're going to drill down to it, it it comes down to the reality reality is that garmin is is veering more towards being a lifestyle brand and going and going because that is where that you know that's where the money is in reality mm. and they're forgetting about a lot of their consumers and runners who are operating on the sidelines and the people who are doing you know multi-day events you know they don't need a wallet on their phone 
on their on their on their watch. They they just don't, they don't need that. You know, you don't need that when you're when you're going up Ben Nevis or whatever. Um, and then and chorus has really come out from the sidelines um, in the same way that you know ultra running has grown over the past sort of four or five years. So is chorus, and I think we're really leading that charge by giving runners exactly what they need, exactly what they want on that particular uh, time. Which, as you said, was for battery life for yourself. Mm. In the dark time, you know you don't you don't need anything else. You just need battery life, which is going to see you through um, to the end of your race. Yeah, it's made it's made a huge difference not having those those dangling cables out in the middle of the night. So it's been it's been great. Um, so listen. I guess, could you tell us a little bit about the, the different models um, that Coros have to offer? And I'm, and I'm really going to kind of let you maybe speak through, perhaps maybe even starting with a pace two, if you felt that was an appropriate place to start. And just so that people get an idea of what options um, there are with the watches, watches with Coros, because it's, it's pretty simple in my eyes. But yeah, it'd be great for you to explain. Yeah, sure. So um, I think I'll start off by saying we, we, we brought our first running watch out in 2018. So we're quite a, a relatively new company. And that was the pace one. And the pace one came out and that was really sort of targeted towards competitive road and track runners. Um, mm -hmm. And that came through with our first um, proper feature, which was the track run feature, um, which basically allowed um, runners to go onto a 400 meter track, type in which lane they'd be running in, type in the, the, the length of the track. Um, and then the watch would calculate their exact time, pace and distance um, based on those manual inputs. Um, it would use GPS as well, but effectively the the overall or the um, the final distance pace and time will be exactly as what you'd actually run. Um, whereas what most GPS watches do is they try to plot it um, using um, the satellite, so you effectively get you know, um, you know uh, a route which shows that you've been all around the field, which just isn't accurate. Um, and that really sort of put course on the map in terms of that feature. Okay. Um, and then we sort of started to bring out our apex um range which was sort of um more ultra running specific um, but these are watches which you can use you know if you just want um you know a very very dependable good value for money watch um obviously yeah. we've, we try to put a lot of focus onto the battery life so we give you all the features that you need um to do an ultra marathon um but also we don't weigh it, weigh it down with all these other useless features like lifestyle features. Um, but that also allows us to um, have better battery life. So for example, in the Vertex, um, that can last up to 150 hours um, in our Ultramax GPS mode. Mm -hmm. um, and that's with heart rate tracking on as well. Um, so, you know, if you're doing a Marathon de Sable, uh, Marathon, <laughs> let me get that one out, Marathon <laughs> de Sables, yeah. um, which is a six-day ultra running event our watch is the only watch in the world with native battery life to last that entire event um, which i think is quite quite incredible yeah um but effectively the, the the apex pro and the apex are both um very very capable um, running watches from just starting out right up to doing an ultra marathon um in fact they're both endurance watches our vertex is um more sort of marketed towards the mountaineering community um climbing okay. Um, but also, you know, ultra running, um, it's great for going up, um, uh, Everest. So we've got, um, excellent water and height and elevation and rating. So you can practically take it anywhere okay. um, and not need to charge it very often. And then obviously recently we released our pace Two watch back in August. Yeah, that was um, a big launch. And this is a, that was a big launch. Yeah. So that, that's a second iteration to our original pace. Um, and this is the lightest GPS watch 
on the market, um, weighing just 29.7 grams. Um, and that comes with a nylon strap and it comes with 30 hours of GPS battery. Um, and that's continuous GPS battery as well. So if you were to have Ultramax GPS, which is uh, pinged every 120 seconds, um, then that will last up to 60 hours on one battery, which is just awesome. Um, but that's, you know, that's dedicated to more towards competitive road and track running. Um, and obviously, as you've seen recently, which I'm sure we'll come on to, is um, Kipchoge is also um, a, a, a proud owner of the Pace 2. Um, so yeah. that's obviously also increased the popularity of that watch. Um, but yes, it's in high demand, that watch. Not much stock at the moment, but uh, hopefully we'll have some more coming into the UK soon. Yeah, I think it's 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 not just Coros that are struggling with um, with stock and supplies at the moment with everything going on in the world. Um, there's a lot of companies struggling for stock. So yeah, hope, hopefully soon that all sorts itself out. Um, I think you you raised a good point just now that I wanted to just touch on, and that is often when you when you go and buy a watch, regardless of of brand, you're told you know this watch can do, you know what whatever it is, 30 hours, 20 hours, 12 hours. Um, running time but then when you look at the details it, and, and you want to go out and use it in, in full gps mode with something like the heart rate on often you're not getting that performance at all or anywhere close and i think that's for me another important point of of, of the apex that i use and the other chorus watches as well is that what's advertised on there you actually get it out of and that can have the heart rate on you can be using the map features you can be using full gps mode so you don't have to worry about all that kind of changing changing into ultramax mode obviously if you were doing something longer like you said the marathon de sable or something like that then yes you would want it but these watches will last the the full the full distance absolutely and, the, and those numbers which we're quoting there, that's based on gps tracking on so if you're doing you know four days of a you know, smart watch mode as, as we call it which is no gps mode and then doing you know some other time in, in GPS mode, then you know, those numbers are changing all the time effectively. Um, but the numbers that we quote on our website are very conservative. They, they're, the, they're the absolute minimums. Um, the reason I say that is because if you look at the vertex, we have 150 hours on that with Ultramax GPS. That's with heart rate turned on. If you were to turn heart rate off um, from the beginning, you could probably get about 170 to 180 hours. Um, wow. But we don't advertise that because that often relies on perfect weather conditions as well. Okay. Um, so it's obviously we we want to be you know trustworthy and you know and you know not dig ourselves up because it comes down to effectively you could actually be doing you know an FKT and if the if the watch isn't you know going to last that long then we don't want to be in a situation where we've overpromised and underdelivered. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. And I think it's also worth mentioning on top of all that that there's there's just been you know just praise is given to the support um not only from from Coros but also from the development teams that are working on the watches of Coros because there's a very open um and easy uh, Facebook group which people post a lot of um a lot of questions in a lot of like feature requests and stuff and these are actually being listened to and and picked up by the development team and I think a lot of features are making their way quickly onto the watches as and when people um you know identify bugs or, or want want new feature requests so the support's been fantastic as well. Um, have, you, have you found that being the case and have had much feedback from there? Absolutely. So we've got our Facebook group, our course official users group. Um, we've got some of our ambassador teams um, based around the world. We've obviously got our Mandarin team, um, BitCourse China. Um, and then we've got a help center as well where people can put um, feedback into um, the app. 
um, and that'll get sent off to developers. Um, but it all comes down to the fact of having an amazing development team. Um, and also, you know, we're, we're relatively small at the moment, so we can take on a lot of this feedback. Um, whereas obviously if we were bigger, we would be less agile. Um, but I think it also comes down to the fact that um, our user base, you know, we're, we're making watches for a very, very specific use, um, which is, you know, for someone to complete an ultra, ultra marathon in the fastest time. You know, we're not giving them loads of useless features that could go wrong at some point. You know, we're just giving them the absolute basics um, that is going to last in a, in a watch, which is going to last for up to 150 hours. You know, so it, 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 it helps, you know, making yeah, a more specific sure. watch. Mm, absolutely absolutely so you mentioned earlier some some exciting new partnerships that were announced recently after the the pace 2 was released and one of those that you've already alluded to was um Elliot Kipchoge wearing the pace 2 for London marathon was that is that right uh yes so we've got him um so Kipchoge's come on board um and that you know is has been a big big signing for us um so that's um, a global partnership that we've got um Kipchoge on board for and also um, the NN running team as well um, which includes Kipchoge and, and a few other amazing athletes um, but yeah that, that's been a huge huge signing um, and, and Kipchoge will join our global pro athlete team um, who goes who joins um, with some other people like Hayden Hawks and um, John Kelly in the UK um, so very very happy to have him on board and like I said earlier to you as well it's it's meant I've been very, very busy these past couple of weeks, which is which is good, and we've seen lots of, of, of new growth opportunities come from that. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I think the um, a lot of the athletes that are wearing, or a lot of the elite athletes, like um, Camille Heron, for example, over in over in the US, have you know nothing but good things to to say about about the watchers, and actually they're they're reaching out to to, to general everyday runners as well, and and helping them. You know, with questions about the devices and stuff and I know Camille actually helped me choose the watch because I wasn't sure at first you know with, with Chorus being quite new and and obviously having that comfort of, of the Garmin brand on your arm was it was a difficult switch to make actually and uh, but after you know investigating more having a look um, it was like I say, er, said earlier it was the best move um, I'd, I'd ever made I think to, to, to get this watch so um, it's great to see the athletes engaging with with everyday runners and you know preaching about the watches and, and actually you know saying truly from their own experiences what the watches can do so that's been fantastic um ben a question to you where if people are interested can they now purchase the watches from where, where's the best place for somebody in the uk to to get a watch sure so we have watches available on amazon uk um we also have um, watches available from our retailer base um and our new uk website um, which is ukcoros.com. Um, we have recently signed a new distribution partner in the UK as of about a month ago, uh, okay. which has sort of opened up more retail channels for us in the UK, which is really, really helpful. And we've also started to branch more into Ireland as well. Um, so we've got shops over there opening up. Um, but effectively, um, our retailers in the UK will ship also to Ireland and also to the rest of the UK um, with free delivery in most cases. Um, so anywhere online, basically. But if you have a look also on our UK website, we have a dealer locator um, and you can type in your postcode and it will type, it will show you the nearest running shop um, where you can buy a course watch from um, in store uh, and see it on your wrist. Um, so many places to come as well. Um, and obviously many more across the continent as well. That's great. That's great. And obviously you've got your, your Facebook groups we mentioned earlier. You're also on Instagram um, as well. So if people want to go off and, um, and follow on there and, and have a look at some of the, some of the nice photos and athlete stories and user stories, and then there's, there's quite a bit on there as well. 
Um, and I guess finally, um, Ben, what's what's next for Chorus then? What's um, what's happening? Is there anything you can allude to in the future that, that we don't yet, don't yet know about? <laughs> well, yes, there is. There's a lot. Um, I know. Well, we have a very exciting UK partnership uh, which is coming next week, uh, which we've been working on for the past uh, a couple of weeks now. Ooh, sounds um, exciting. Can't say can't say who it is yet, but it'll be revealed soon. You should check your inbox. Um, but that'll be very exciting and, and then we've got some event partnerships coming up into the new year as well for UK um, we're also looking to be working with some clothing brands in terms of partnerships um, but effectively we you know my, my job effectively is to create a, a steady stream of sustainable um, editorial and advertorial um, pieces um, for the brand over the sort of coming six months and, and onwards um, so you know, together with our ambassador team, which is obviously constantly growing, which anybody can apply to, um, you know, we should start to see very, very good growth um, in our obviously target segments. Um, but the great thing as well is like, you know, people come and talk to me, they say, you know, I've heard about Cross a lot in the past few months, and I, and I sort of know back in my mind, that's because of me, that's because of me. So it's, it's, it's always great to hear. Uh, that's good. Approach and, and, and say that as well. Yeah, that's fantastic. Very, very satisfying. Ben, listen, thanks for joining us on the show to tell us about the watches. Um, listeners, if you're interested, head, head over to the website, um, which uh, Ben did mention earlier, which is uk.chorus.com to find out more. Um, obviously, you can get in touch with me at the show as well. Um, I'd be very, very more than happy to help um, share any information that you need. But Ben, listen, all the best for Christmas and New Year and good luck with um, the announcements and everything that's coming up with Chorus. Excellent. Thank you so much for having me on. Take care. Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to the Portsmouth Running Podcast again. Uh, I'm really pleased this week to be joined uh, by a local runner from City of Portsmouth Athletics Club, Rhiannon Dunlop. Welcome. Hi. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. It was really great to bump into you a couple of weekends ago up at Queen Elizabeth Country Park. Um, and it yeah, also gave yeah. us a quick chance to kind of say hello. And um, have you been up there since? Uh, yeah, that's one of our, I guess, kind of go-to places to run um, on a Sunday. It's usually, um, I guess, where me and Cassie, the girl I was running with, go when we um, when we don't have someone that has better navigation skills <laughs> because we know the route well. Um, we don't we don't venture onto new routes unless um, someone that's a little bit better at navigating can navigate us. It is lovely up there. I'm very much looking forward to to chatting to you about your running story and and obviously before we get into all that, how has lockdown been treating you? Um, yeah, I guess um, life has changed quite a lot during lockdown. Um, I'm working from home, which um, is makes my job quite difficult because um, so I'm training to be a clinical psychologist. So I'm in my final okay. year now. Um, so I'm, I'm <clears throat> do lots of kind of online therapy and things at the moment but I much prefer seeing people face to face um although I have been amazed at how well everyone's kind of adapted to working online and doing things online um but no yeah. otherwise um lockdown's not been too bad um I've still been able to keep keep going with running um and yeah but a bit more running I guess I, I don't know whether it's the same for you but I've been doing um, yeah, just had a bit more freedom not having to travel uh, to and from work each day. So there's been more hours um, in the day when it comes to running. So have you found the same as well? Yeah, I found um, not having to travel into work does make a big difference because I, I don't have to get up, get up as early to do like a morning run. 
Um, so that, yeah, that has made a big difference. But in terms of kind of, I guess, my training, I wouldn't say I've been doing any more training. Um, I've, I've tried to kind of keep the same kind of routine I had before. And obviously I'm still working nine till five. So within yeah. those kind of hours, I don't, I don't really have time to, to do kind of runs in the day and things. Okay. So have you, have you been out running much, we, uh, much this week? Have you, uh, have you, are you training for anything in particular at the moment? Yeah, so um, I'm doing a 5K next weekend um, in okay. Arding Life. Um, so, um, but I wouldn't say my training doesn't necessarily really um, change for kind of races. Um, I guess in the summer months, when I've got kind of track races and things. I will probably like taper more and like mileage will reduce and things. But during the winter, I, I tend to kind of, it's, it's about kind of building base miles ready for track season. And then I, I will do some, 5k 10k races and a bit of cross country um so i wouldn't okay. say my training necessarily changes um just because i've got a race a race coming up okay cool so it's all about kind of yeah like you say building that base and just um getting the miles and the legs and stuff and maybe not particularly um are you expecting pbs or anything at this time of year or would it just kind of um, you focus on the summer months more for that i mean i would i, I always want a pb um we all do yeah <laughs> um, i'm never kind of happy unless i get a pb um yeah. I think, yeah, I'd love to, I would love to run a PB, but um, I've, I think I said to you before, I've, I've had a few kind of niggles and injuries um, and mm. a bit like I haven't had much luck in the last kind of 18 months in terms of injury. Um, so I'm, I'm not really sure, like I would love a PB, but I'm not, um, it's going to be a good kind of gauge as to where I am, I think, running the 5k. Because um, okay. I have had um, a consistent block of training the last kind of couple of months. So um, hopefully, and I mean, I feel in, I do feel in good shape. So we'll That's just good. see what happens. Excellent. Well, wish you all the best for it and stuff. So um, out of curiosity, do you have any other runners in the family or is it just yourself that runs? Um, so when I was young, I've got a twin sister and she, she used to run as well, but she was much more like a sprinter and um long jumper and um, I think I said to you I used to do like sprint hurdles and a bit of high jump and it was funny because we we always we never wanted to do the same events because we were really competitive with each other so it was like those were her events and I had my events okay. um but in I mean my all my family have always are all into sport um but no one really my younger sister um, she's three years younger she does she does run quite a bit but not not really competitively um, and does a bit of cycling and a lot of swimming as well okay uh, they're all very active um but no one no one runs um i guess how i do okay um, so yeah. you've, ta you've, you've taken the baton really with the with the running for the family there so that's that's great yeah yeah my twin sister plays hockey now so she doesn't really run okay well mind you that i guess on the hockey field there's a lot of running to be done as well but a lot of um yeah, yeah hitting each other with sticks as well which is quite scary <laughs> there's none of, none of that that goes on in running at all so uh, that's great um so i guess um where to start really and i think what would be a good place is perhaps maybe if you told us where athletics um and maybe particularly the running all started for you um so i guess i always ran when i was young and in school um i i, I played kind of all sports at school so i I'd kind of, I'd play in, in the hockey team and the netball and the, um, all those kind of things. But I always, I always prefer, I always, running and athletics was always my favourite. And I did kind of cross country club at school and did the kind of school cross countries. Um, okay. But I never did it particularly seriously. And I, and I wasn't actually um, a member of a club till I was about 15, 16, um, when I joined Horsham Blue Stars, which was um, where I grew up. Okay. Um, 
and when it all began I guess I I focused more I couldn't really decide which event I liked so I just did a bit of kind of everything um and I loved I did love doing I remember 80 meter hurdles was my my favorite event um and I used to think that like two laps of the trap was a really long way I remember (laughs) our coach used to send us off for a warm-up and I'd do one lap around the track and then I'd be like to my friend or should we just kind of walk walk another lap and then go go back over to our coach um that's so funny Because now I'm like, oh, two laps of the track is like nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I guess like it's all relative, isn't it, to what you're to what you're used to. But that, yeah, that is quite funny. I guess looking back, thinking two laps of the track, come on, that's like an eight, that's <laughs> yeah. like an eight hundred meter uh, interval session now. <laughs> yeah, and if someone had told me I was to go and do an eight hundred meter race, I'd be like, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mind you, I do um, hear the eight hundred meter races um is pretty horrible as a as an yeah, event. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then. I guess I went I went to uni um, in Exeter and I joined um, the athletics club there which I loved being part of that club but again I didn't really take it very seriously and I, I couldn't again couldn't really decide what event I wanted to do um, and mainly kind of just joined the club for so kind of the social aspect of the club. Yeah okay yeah. So, so you obviously made like lots of friends and stuff through through the athletics club and stuff at, at uni. Yeah yeah, yeah. and then then I had um, I had a couple of years out from from running and sport due to due to illness. So I didn't I didn't do any running then. Um, and then when I graduated um, from uni, I my first job when I graduated was um, in Bridgewater in Somerset, and I didn't know anyone anyone in Somerset. Okay. Um, so I joined Taunton Athletics Club, um, and I think because I'd had two years away from running. Um, I was really keen to just do something new where I wasn't kind of comparing myself to kind of my old self um, I didn't didn't kind of want to go back to hurdles or anything um, so I joined the um, the, endure, the kind of like in senior endurance um, group at Taunton with um, Charlotte Fisher who coaches down there and okay. um, and that was I guess where my current running journey really first began and I, I'd say I had no confidence at that time and I didn't I didn't want to to race like the thought of racing was like no <laughs> like the pressure and I'd get really nervous it's, um, you, it's so scary it's it, racing is is horrible it's taken me yeah. ages to, to get used to racing it's a really like frightening frightening thing yeah and I think um I loved the group I trained with and Charlotte was was really great at I guess building my confidence um, and, and the people in the group were really were really kind of friendly and it was inclusive um but I will I was always like miles behind everyone else in the group um but I never really used to mind that because I think it was such a lovely group to be part of and That's I think nice. I did I did start to kind of notice improvements and Charlotte really kind of encouraged me to start doing some races and things um, and that's, I guess, where I started to, to get kind of a, a bit more confidence and I guess kind of like fell in love with the kind of endurance side of running, which I'd never really done properly before. Yeah. Um, and then, then I moved to Portsmouth um, for a new well, I'm gonna, job. I'm going I'm to stop you there for just a sec because I've got a couple of questions about, um, yeah, sure. about this particular time, if, if, if that's all right. Because, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like you, said, you just mentioned um, touch base. Um, on the fact that you know you were you had some confidence things with the racing and stuff and i and i just said you know i agreed with you that racing's racing's pretty scary but even before that quickly you said that you'd done some some hurdles running as well yeah now, on the it was just it just reminded me just talking about kind of fears and stuff that hurdles is the one event for me that absolutely petrifies me because every even when i watch it i, mean, I would never attempt to jump one of those hurdles myself 
but I get the same kind of fear like like when I'm watching a horse jumping event you know I mm. always just expect people to to go over those bars and and for it to catch their foot and for them to fall flat on their face I guess that never yeah. happens or does it happen no I think it does it does happen I think I I can remember one time when I've fallen on on a hurdle in a race but um I think I guess it's funny because at that time when I was doing hurdles I don't remember um feeling particularly kind of as as nervous and anxious about racing and things because I did I raced when I was kind of 15 16 over the hurdles and I did relatively well at it and I think um I before I kind of did athletics I had done a bit of gymnastics and I I think hurdles was just like an event I fell into because I I was able to get the kind of technique and um, I had a I had a, a good coach then as well um who was kind of specific hurdles coach um yeah. but then I remember it when when you like move up an age group I think from under 17 to under 20 it goes from 80 hurdles to 100 hurdles and then yeah. I just couldn't do it anymore because the space between the hurdles got bigger and I couldn't kind of maintain the rhythm and I don't think my legs were long enough so I was like oh well what am I going to do now because I couldn't do 80 hurdles yeah. um so I did transition to 400 hurdles but it's a totally different event um and really tough so I think I think I then felt a bit like oh what am I going to do I felt like there was there wasn't anything I was particularly good at and I didn't know what event to do Okay. um yeah wow. now those uh, those you're very you're brave you talking about fears and stuff you're very brave to jump the hurdles because I, I i know that i would never even attempt it and if i did i would look i would look really pathetic going over them <laughs> so, but, but also you mentioned that you um you were in somerset and and yeah. in, in the information you sent me you mentioned taunton and i was thinking taunton sounds really familiar to me and i know why now yeah. Because I think it runs along the uh, John O'Groats to Land's End and and vice versa route. Oh yeah. Uh, and I think there was a runner recently um called called Dan Lawson. Um, yeah. And Carla Molinaro. Sorry, I've got I've completely messed up. Yeah, this I know who you mean. I was following their their um their trips when they did that. That's right. Yeah, and I think Taunton because we were close by on holiday. We weren't too far away from Taunton, and I think I was going to try and get up to to run for a few miles with Dan, but it never it never kind of um worked out unfortunately but I, I always remember seeing Taunton on the map and that's where I know it from so yeah <laughs> yeah so it was a lovely place to live and I loved I did love living there but um it was definitely good um good for me to move away I think okay I was going to ask um, a little bit about Charlotte Charlotte Fisher because I think yeah. it's um, it comes up a lot on the on, on the podcast here with with people who have running coaches just how much mm -hmm. of an incredible impact coaches had on 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 runners you know yeah. training but but also like you know has an effect on their lives completely and I think is it fair to say that, that Charlotte had a big impact as a coach on you and obviously helped perhaps maybe build those those confidence foundations oh yeah definitely um I think I always look back at my time at Taunton and think very very fondly of of Charlotte as a coach um, and I still see her from time to time um, now or races and things if I if I bump into her which is really nice because I think I've come a long way since I the days when I was training with her um, which I, I hope is, I guess, nice for her to see as well. Um, but yeah, for sure, she definitely um, built some confidence in me. Um, I guess yeah. the time of my life when I felt a bit kind of uncertain about what I was doing or um, yeah. kind of was kind of starting to get into endurance running. Um, and she was, she was really good for that. That's good. That's fantastic. I always like to kind of like speak about the coaches or just ask about the coaches for a couple, uh, couple of minutes because um, yeah, they're super, super important people and they, they just seem to have such a big impact on, on, mm. on runners, especially young runners, I think as well. So that's, that's great. Um, yeah. 
did you make um, lots of friends um, at, at the running club there as well? Uh, people you keep yeah. in contact with? Yeah, so I'm still in contact with a couple. Um, and yeah, I did, I think, I guess, because I didn't know anyone down there at the time. Um, it was it was such a good way for me to make make friends. Um, yeah. I, I guess is what made my kind of time in Taunton more enjoyable. Because um, you do, you spend quite a lot of time with, with I guess, training with your running groups and things. So yeah. um, I'd say the, the large part of my kind of social network when I was down in Taunton was through running, apart from the girls that I lived with who, um who didn't who didn't run yeah and um, i'll tell you what no, no one understands not being able to go out partying till two in the morning or drinking till two in the morning when you have a long run on the next day or something yeah 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 so it's always... although it's funny because when i think about when i was down there when i think about like a long run back then i used to think that like 10k was a really really long run yeah. um so just it and I remember Charlotte used to say to me like oh on a Sunday just try and go out for like an, try and do kind of an hour it doesn't matter how far you go just run for an hour and I used to be like an hour like that's such a long time to be running <laughs> um yeah. so things have changed a lot now yeah now you wouldn't even blink an eye yet. <laughs> no. that's great so so you obviously mentioned um a few minutes ago before I, I rudely interrupted you that you you moved to Portsmouth and um I wanted to discuss that a little bit now because obviously that's that's where you're based now and you know I think there's there's a lot to be said about moving i've done a lot of moving myself i've i've moved um towns and cities and, and even countries um, i immigrated yeah. to south africa when i was younger and back again um but obviously like yeah moving's really scary you don't know people in the area and stuff but it seems like you've settled quite well and uh, what, what was that move like for you the fact that you'd found that nice kind of network of runners and stuff and now you had to yeah. kind of up up, up and uh, move again I think I remember feeling so uncertain about it and thinking like it was a massive risk and I think because um, not only did I kind of find a good running group down in Taunton I, I was living with some with some lovely girls as well who I'm still still friends with now and I just felt really really settled and really happy um, so I thought like what if it all goes wrong and I move to Portsmouth yeah. and I don't meet anyone and I don't feel happy um, but because at that time I was trying to so I'm, I'm currently, I think I said I was currently in my final year of my clinical psychology doctorate and it's really competitive to get onto that. So before you, before you, before you apply to get onto it, you have to get experience as an assistant psychologist. Okay. And I, you, it's because those jobs are quite hard to get because everybody I think who wants to go on and do clinical psychology try, is trying to get those jobs for experience. So um, I got a job as an assistant psychologist in Portsmouth and um, it was kind of an opportunity that I couldn't really turn turn down because I I was I'm also was very driven to get on to the clinical psychology doctorate so I mm. thought well um, I don't know if I'll be able to get an assistant job another assistant job down in Taunton yeah. so um, I just kind of thought well I've got to and I remember my parents saying to me you know some, sometimes you just have to take a risk if it doesn't work out then you know you can always go back or or things so um so I just thought okay I'll I'll take the risk and it, it was I was looking back now it was the best thing I ever did really because I think um although I loved Taunton it was the reason I had moved to Taunton in the first place was um my ex-boyfriend lived in Taunton as well and okay. then when we broke up I obviously didn't didn't know anyone until I joined the club um so I think it was probably in that sense it was good for me to move away and to just kind of cut that kind of tie yeah. um and kind of start fresh in in Portsmouth Mm. Um, and I was very lucky that the job I went into um, was a lovely, lovely team. I, I loved working there um, and just settled quite quickly. 
um, and yeah. have found um, a really great running setup here as well. Yeah, no, that, that's excellent. And I, I'm a firm believer that, that, you know, like, like you just said, you, your story was, you had to focus on that, on that work kind of bond to, or, or relationship with Portsmouth. You had to kind of use that to make the move, but everything else around you kind of naturally falls into place, I guess, when you, when you have those, yeah. those focus points. So you just have to let that stuff kind of happen. But yeah, very, very brave move. And um, one that I guess you, you had to take, but um, how did you come to meet Alex Budd? Because I know you, um, you, you, are you still coached with Alex as well by Alex? Yeah, yeah, yep, I've been yep. with Alex for about four four years now. Okay, so, so how did that all come about then? How did you meet how did you meet Alex as a coach? Um so when I first moved here I was I was looking for like a club to join. Um and I I remember actually when I first came down to Portsmouth and so I, I can't even I can't remember now who it was I spoke to, but I got put into like a group with like juniors who were at school and I, I think they thought that I, I remember um <laughs> all the girls saying to me like oh so what school do you go to and and, and kind of one of the mum saying oh darling go and put your spikes on and I remember like thinking like what am I doing oh, and um, I'd obviously just graduated from uni and was like 23 but I think they thought I was like 15. <laughs> um, it's, like a, it's like a compliment in a way isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I mean I do look I do look young for my age I think but um Okay. Yeah, I think, um, and then I, I'm not really sure. I think I, I met Alex, um, or I met Alex's dad um, down at the track. I think at that time we were training at um, the Navy um, running track because the lights at Mountbatten weren't working. And, um, and yeah. Alex's dad just introduced me to Alex and said, oh, we've got, we have got a senior running group. Um, so I just, um, I remember one evening just um, being down at the track and, um, I just was introduced to Alex and he said oh you know what 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 kind of things do you what events do you like running like what what your kind of times and things and I remember I I'd just done loads of like park runs and stuff and hadn't really competed and I said oh well I'm just I'm desperate to run under um, 21 minutes for 5k and then I said I think oh um, and I really want to run under two minutes 30 for 800 okay. and Alex just said to me oh I think he'd seen me run in the kind of session and had said oh um, well you can definitely run under 21 minutes for park run and, I, and I'd say from looking at you you can run at least 220 for 800 and I remember going back that night and thinking like who, like is this man serious like, how does he know I can run that um, and um, I guess anyway yeah um he was right because I think a year later I'd um I think broken 20 minutes for 5k and had run um like 2 215 or something for 800 and I think like I would never in my wildest dreams have ever imagined that I would ever run um or like improve that that quickly but I guess each year I've been with Alex I've continued to improve on that and it makes me kind of when I look back and think about I remember when I was running like 21 minutes for 5k and I'd look at all those people that are running like 17 minutes and I used yeah. to think like wow like that's just insane like how does someone run that fast mm. and I never ever would think oh one day I would be running 17 minutes something um but I think like Alex just knows he just he just knows like he can just predict like what what I'm capable of running or what I'm going to run so yeah. well and so I think I've developed so much trust that if I just kind of listen to him, then I'll achieve um, things that I, I never would have expected I'd achieve. That's amazing. That's, I guess it's like the coach's experience with all the runners that they've, they've coached 
and what they've seen their runners kind of go on to do. Maybe they can pick pick out things in your in your running style or or build or, or something. And yeah, it must have installed a lot of confidence in you as well. But I think you've also so you touched on the fact that you'd run two fifteen for eight hundred, but you I also wrote down that you've run four minutes thirty five for the fifteen hundred meters as well. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Wow. So if you just carried on a little bit longer, you would have definitely run a sub five minute mile. <laughs> well, I think, um, I guess the, my PBs on the track were from two years ago now. And I think I obviously had, um, I've had a couple of, um, I guess, quite serious injuries, um, yeah. which I think completely hampered. I've, so I've missed two, the last two track seasons. Well, obviously the last one has been because of COVID and then the one before that I was injured. So yeah. it's really frustrating because I feel like I've just not had a chance to fully kind of see what I could do on the track. Mm-hmm. So I think... Um, that's what me and Alex are really working for this this next summer is to just have some consistent tra- training and just see you know what what I can achieve on the track because I think I do I do really feel like um, and I know Alex feels that there is a lot more to come um, if I can just stay injury free. Okay, no, that's 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 brilliant. Can, can you tell us a little bit more about um, Alex as as a coach, like some of his perhaps maybe his methods and his and his training. Um, routines that he's installed in you to help you kind of go from that you know wanting to do to run sub 21 to running 17s for a 5k and and all the great times that you're running now how was how that kind of how has his training kind of transformed you um I guess before I was training with Alex I never I mean I used to train like twice a week and do maybe a few runs in between but I think Alex invests so much time in kind of planning our training and our training schedule um, and everything um, everything has a lot of thought behind it so I think in some ways I I don't it, it kind of takes away the thinking away from from me because each kind of session that Alex plans he's really like he's looked at, he's looking at the bigger picture and thinking like what sessions are important to do at what times of year um, okay. and he he'll every like two weeks he'll he'll have done like a plan which I just follow religiously basically it probably isn't always um <laughs> helpful for me because I think uh, well not it is helpful for me but I think yeah. like Alex says he never has to worry about me following his training because I will always follow it to the team regardless of whether I have a niggle or I feel tired um so that's something we've worked on a lot because I think um like learning to listen to my body a bit more and um we've um I guess that's over the last two years um I've worked with Alex quite a lot to adapt my training to kind of minimise any um, minimise kind of the chance of injury and things. So I've built in a bit more cross training, and um, I don't do any d- double days of running anymore. Okay. Um, and um, yeah, just focusing a bit more on recovery and things. Okay, that's good. That's interesting to know. Excellent. So also, I wanted to mention because you you d- you did send me this piece of information as well, but um. Uh, not only have you made some, some good friends and good coaching relationship here in Portsmouth as well, but you've also found love in Portsmouth, which is great. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, well, I didn't actually meet, meet Paul in um, Portsmouth. So my um, I grew up at near kind of Horsham, between Horsham and Brighton. Okay. Um, and it was like two, two years ago now. Um, I was at home for Christmas with my parents and I was... Um, so Paul, Paul and his training group does a lot of training on the dance link mm-hmm. and I went and did like a session that Alex had set me on the dance link and I just like bumped into Paul um, and then I think I remember I think it like 
I followed him on Instagram or he followed me on Instagram or something like that. And like he, he then, or I reacted to his kind of story on Instagram okay. or something and then we just got talking. And um, after we'd kind of talked for a bit, he then said, oh, um, can I take you for lunch? Um, and then I guess the rest is history. I think um, we then um, saw each other every weekend because um, obviously he still lived back near Brighton and okay. I lived down here. Um, but then um, earlier this year, actually, um, he then moved down here um, and has now got a job down here and has moved down here permanently, which is which is really nice for me. That's fantastic. I, I love that story. That's great. Just a, a kind of chance meeting in the, on, in, yeah. on, the on, on the South Downs. That's amazing. Well, it's funny because I remember like saying like, I, I remember that Christmas I'd like met some, like some friends to come around for dinner and um, we were kind of, you know, that kind of mid twenties kind of crisis, like, oh, I'm never going to find anyone like, and um, we were kind of, like, I was just with my, with my friends kind of laughing about yeah, yeah. what the future holds and things. And I remember my mum always used to say, oh, you'll meet someone like when you least expect it. And I'd be like, oh, like, what do you know? Like, I'm not going to meet anyone. And then just by chance, I just met Paul and um, yeah, I'd, he's perfect, perfect for me really. And um yeah. I think I think there's I think there's a really uh, there's a really big lesson coming from this um, interview already, uh, Rhiannon, and that is that coaches and mums are always right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Alex will will love it if I if I say that um, probably ninety nine percent of the time he is he is right, <laughs> and he because <likes> <laughs> I'm I'm terrible. Like he'll he'll laugh because I always kind of he'll he'll set kind of the training plan and the schedule. And I'll always try and negotiate something a little bit different or something a little bit off the plan. And, um, and yeah, 99% of the time he is always right. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Well, that, that's great. So it's a, it's a really nice story and um, really uplifting to hear. So it's fantastic. And also, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to give away a hint that I will be um, uh, getting Paul onto the show very soon, sooner than people think um, for his own interview as well. So it'd be great to, to have a chat with him. <laughs> but perhaps maybe a good idea to speak about some of these injuries, Rhiannon, because you've mentioned um, a couple of times already in the interview that you've had, um, you know, various time off at that aside, but you've had um, struggled with some injuries, uh, especially over the last 18 months, you said as well. So yeah. could you tell us a little bit about um, about this, about how these kind of come about? Are these recurring injuries that you've had or just, just generally that you've struggled with over the years? Um, so I think the first kind of couple of years I was training with Alex, I remember I used to think I was really lucky because I never had any real kind of major injuries and I probably kind of had two years of really consistent kind of training. Mm -hmm. um, but I think um, I was probably doing a, a bit less in terms of training volume and things when I first joined Alex and obviously each year it kind of builds a little bit. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think it's when everything's kind of going well and you're running really well, you don't really think about, um, I guess, kind of injury prevention and kind of, or even the thought of getting an injury. Yeah. So I think then when I, um, so it was, when was it? Beginning of 2019, um, I just kind of out of nowhere had well it wasn't sort of out of nowhere because I it started with kind of stiffness in the front of my hip um but I never I didn't really think at the time like it was anything major because I just thought you know sometimes you just feel a bit you know when you get up in the morning and it, or it's a bit cold outside and you feel a bit stiff yeah it's hard it, to tell yeah yeah and it would it would sort of ease up so I so I just um I think it's the biggest lesson I've, I've learned from the injury because I think at the time I just kind of ran through it and thought it would go away 
Um, and then one day I just went for a run and I've got about three minutes into the run and I just walked home basically crying because I was in so much pain. Um, and I, I think um, straight away that day I went to the physio and um, the, physio, I, the physio I go to was really kind of positive and was like, oh, you know, don't worry. Like, um, I think it's just some tendinopathy, like gluteal tendinopathy. Okay. Um, so, and I think it's really hard for physios, like with yeah. you know, unless you have like a scan, like it's it's more kind of like they just they go through kind of what it could be, and they if it's not that, they then eliminate that and try and find until they kind of find um, the kind of right diagnosis. It's so, a process of elimination, I, effectively, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So it's I definitely it's nothing nothing against kind of any of the physios I I saw because I think it was a really hard injury to diagnose. Um, but I, I guess um, I was getting more and more kind of disheartened that I was ever going to be pain free because um, it just wasn't getting any better. So I, I eventually had a MRI privately because um, I had I was going through the kind of NHS system, but it was taking a really long time. Okay. Um, so I went down to London and had um, an MRI and it came back as a, a femoral neck stress reaction. Um, so I think um, I think although I was like, oh, oh, like, it seemed like this terrible thing at the time, like, no, finally kind of knowing what it was, I think, really helped, because to start with, I, like, cross-trained like crazy, like, I'd be, probably spend two hours in the pool a day, um, trying to kind of keep fitness, but once I knew that it was going to take a lot longer to heal, I kind of was able to kind of just step back a bit and say, well, there's no point me trying to um, maintain my fitness and cross-train like crazy, because I think, cross training like I you use I'd say I'm I tend to be quite good at being able to kind of cross train really hard but yeah. it's only I think it's only sustainable for a few weeks and then I think mentally I just burnt out and I just thought like I can't do this anymore um so I think once I once I was able to kind of just accept that I had this injury and it was going to take um some time to heal um I stressed a little bit less about kind of trying to do loads of cross training and try to maintain fitness um because I was I kind of it became more important that I was just back to being able to run um than it was yeah. about maintaining fitness okay so um, and how long is was that healing process because I had to look up that injury and, and I, I saw a few um kind of diagrams about which bone it was and, and where the fracture can happen and stuff but it, it, it does seem pretty nasty and it must you know that pain must have been awful because it is you know the hips are obviously move a lot even just when you're walking or or you know you're always yeah. putting weight on it and everything so it must have been really di difficult but how long how long did that take to heal up that fracture um so it was about seven months before i ran again um wow. but i think i did have a second mri and because even when it was starting to kind of get better um it, it there was still kind of like the pain kept kind of sort of changing um and it, i think the area where the stress reaction was is because it was like really deep in the hip and there's so many other kind of things going on around that area it was really hard to to diagnose and um anyway one the second mri showed that i also had a um a label tear in my hip okay um so i then was like oh god like i'm not only have i got a stress reaction i've also got like this bloody label tear and mm -hmm. i i genuinely think i thought i'm never going to run again because the consultant at, at the hospital was like oh well, a label tear, well, they can't heal themselves. So it will be something that you'll always have. And I just thought like, well, how am I going to be able to achieve the kind of things I want to achieve if I've got this yeah. label tear that's never going to go away? 
Um, but then I did, I, I think I did loads of research on it and other athletes that had had it. And um, I did feel quite reassured that um, they did also say that lots of athletes do have label tears that they don't even realise that they have. And okay. that it could be that this label tear was um, like not symptomatic and that it just happened to have been picked up in the MRI because I had an MRI for the stress reaction. So I kind of like try to hold on to this like hope that actually maybe the label tear was nothing to do with this injury and they just happened to find it. Yeah. Um, and in time, like the, the aching and the pain and stuff did go away and it did heal. Um, but I think even now, occasionally, just out of nowhere for no reason, I do get a bit of a flare up in my hip where it's not an acute pain and I can run through it but it just feels a bit achy. And I mean, I don't know whether that's the label tear or not. Yeah. Um, but like when I chat to Alex about it, we, you know, we always say just, well, we'll just cut back for a week, let it give it kind of time to, to see whether it settles. And it always, always settles um, within a week. And then I can get back to doing full training again. So I think I'm just quite sort of learning to manage it and listen to, to my body when I do, feel a bit of a kind of ache or yeah. or nickel sounds like a sounds like a massive uh, way to learn a lesson but a lesson learned and and you're, you're all kind of i guess better prepared in the future because of it so but yeah, yeah. it's a long long time to be out to be out of the running i heard i heard a really um funny story once of a, of a professional runner who you know with the, the ability to want to keep training through through a, an injury like you had um they had mm. rigged a bike upside down I don't know where, oh, probably yeah. in, their, in their garage or something, just so that they could pedal um, while they were lying on their back, just to avoid any weight on yeah. uh, on the stress area and stuff. So uh, people go to uh, crazy with, lengths. I think with the femoral neck stress reaction, it was really hard because it I couldn't do any bike or cross training or anything. Like there wasn't really anything that I could do um, apart from aqua jogging to to um, to without kind of it hurting or aggravating it. Yeah, but I'm yeah. a massive, massive advocate of aqua jogging. Like I tell everyone if they're injured, I'm like, you just need to do some aqua jogging. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I was just amazed at how much fitness I was able to keep um, just by aqua jogging. How do you, can you take us through the process of aqua jogging? Because I've, I've heard about it before, but is it a case of just getting a lane in the pool and, and running or do you have, is there any equipment that you need or how, how does it all work? Um, so yeah, I usually go in the slow lane um, at the pool or like the open swim area, and you just wear like um, like a belt, like a physio type belt thing. It's just made of like foam, and you just like clip it around your waist. Okay. Um, and then you just like the action is just like how you would run on land, but you're just doing it in the water, and you just move really, really slowly. Um, but you can like replicate sessions and stuff that you would do on land in the pool um just you just got the resistance of the water so i think it also really helps build strength because you've got that resistance that you don't have when you're on land okay um i mean i think if the pool is busy you do get some people that are a bit a bit funny they don't like it that you're not swimming yeah um, i can imagine <laughs> yeah. uh yeah it's wow. funny because i used to go like every morning before work and you'd get to like like meet all the regular people that would come and swim up and down in the slow lane yeah you almost want to kind of like put a sign out on the side of the pool that says, I'm an injured runner. Um, this is part yeah. of my training. I'm not just, I'm not just fooling around in the pool. This is, this is genuine training. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so you can, you actually do like an interval type workout doing, doing links yeah. in the pool as well. 
so I just tried to like follow follow Alex's plan that like everyone else was doing on land but just do it in the water um so yeah you can you can do but you just keep the I tend to just keep the recoveries much shorter in the pool so like you could do like I don't know five by five minutes but just have like 30 seconds recovery between um okay. yeah that's, that's like amazing things, that's amazing yeah. that's really good that's always one to remember for me because I've I'm prone to, to to stress type injuries in my in my leg in, in my big tibia bone um, yeah. which I've just kind of got over one at the moment just from overtraining too much and um, it's, it's always interesting to know that those options are out there um, yeah. yeah okay very interesting very interesting so, and I think actually when when I came back from that injury um, obviously it took a few weeks to kind of get get kind of my running fitness back but I actually came back from that injury stronger and ran um ran 5k and 10k pbs um and I, I definitely think if i hadn't have aqua jogged during that time it wouldn't have i wouldn't have come back stronger yeah no absolutely is uh, yeah another another lesson in that for sure um it's it's not over is it it's it takes you a few weeks to get back into and then uh, yeah like you say you're, you're a better runner for it how did yeah. you um, Renan, how did you deal like emotionally with not being able to run for such a long time because you you said earlier it was seven months um recovery time yeah. how, what was that like having to kind of effectively ditch the, the running itself even though you were you were cross training did you did you miss it at all did you miss the people did you go trackside and spend a bit of time there watching people train at all or did you just keep away from it um i'm not gonna lie it was really really hard and there was definitely times that were really, really low and then times that were better i think when i first got the injury it was uh, pretty much the same time i met paul actually um okay. so i think um kind of that first six months um I guess like like Paul was kind of doing lots of great things with his running and he ran kind of he was working towards the Brighton Marathon and I loved going to watch him and support him and was really inspired by everything that he was doing um and I think that took away a little bit from like I was less I kind of started to stress less about my own running because yeah. I just enjoyed so much seeing him run and like every run he did he was like achieving something like he was like improving or running pb so it was really exciting yeah um so i loved i loved that but i think i did really miss training with my group and i think it's almost was harder kind of seeing my group train and perform and do really well um and not being part of that i think that was like the hardest part and i think obviously you see like i see my training group most days so not having that um, like I'd get home from work and I'd, I'd either like be bored out of my mind aqua jogging in the pool or cross training um, or I just wouldn't have anything to do and I'd, I think I'd, Alex said he'd always know knew when I was feeling really down because I'd send him like this really ranty message that I just was going to give up running <laughs> um, but he he always knows what to say and to kind of kind of boost me a bit and um, I think yeah together we just kind of got through mm. the injury and kind of tried to look at the bigger picture and the future and what's to come yeah absolutely well i, th I think a, a big pat on your back is needed to you know to kind of give yourself some credit for what you've what you've been through over the years because yeah it does sound like some pretty awful uh, pretty awful times there but you've got through it and you're uh, you're, you're running amazing times now so that's, that's all it's all works out great um so i was going to ask you quickly uh what have you got planned for 2021 have you got some have you got any kind of personal goals of the running that you'd, you'd like to achieve 
Um, I think like the biggest thing is that I really want to have a full track season in the summer, having not had the last kind of two track season. Oh, golden, um, yeah. And I mean, I do love running on the road as well and racing on the road, but I think, um, like Alex kind of always says, there's always time. Um, I, I mean, like your tr- track days are sort of numbered and it's, and I think the peak, my kind of peak on the track is going to be about now and in the next kind of couple of years. So I really want to focus on the kind of shorter distances and see what I can do on the track. And then I'll probably um, move to kind of focusing more on like road, road racing and things in the future. Brilliant. Um, and I think my biggest kind of goal that I would love is to get um, the British champs qualifying standard for three, the, probably either 1500 or 5k on the track um, fantastic so that's 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 what alex and i are working towards anyway brilliant amazing goals absolutely amazing and when 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 would you be training to get that qualifying time would that be next year or the year after or, or just um you can? So i think it's probably um i don't know because i always think i surprise myself but i think in my mind i think um not necessarily this summer but maybe this the summer after okay. um but i just i never really know because it just really depends on if i can get some really consistent training um it's a li- at the moment i think i mean i often talk it's a bit it's a bit sort of the unknown because there's been lots of factors that have kind of i guess contributed to me probably not yet achieving what i could achieve so yeah. now that we've kind of really worked on those things over the last kind of few months um I, I kind of hoping that I'll be able to achieve achieve more. Cool. Brilliant. Excellent. Um, if anybody wants to find out anything more about what we've discussed with your running or, or get in touch or follow you, have you got any like social media links you'd, you'd, you'd like to share? Are you, are you on social media at all? Yeah, I'm on um, Instagram, um, Rhiannon underscore runs. Yep. Um, or yeah, I'm on like Facebook or I don't really use Twitter or. And you've got Strava, obviously Strava, it's on Strava or it doesn't count. Yep. Yeah, I'm on Strava. So, but yeah. um, Yeah. That's brilliant. That's excellent. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. Um, so if you've heard the show, um, if you've got this far in any show, you'll realize that I have some recovery run questions that I always ask my guests. Okay. So these are these are kind of quick fire questions, just kind of getting to know you type questions. So they're they're really really easy, um, and hopefully you'll be able to answer them all. If you can't, it doesn't matter. We'll move on to the next one. But nice and easy. So you ready okay. for it? Yeah. Here we go. Uh, what is your ideal meal or treat after a race or hard training session? Oh, I'd say it's always got to be a Nando's. <laughs> a Nando's. A, oh, cool. After a race, yeah. We me and Paul do like love a good Nando's. Um, and pre, pre-race, um, I don't know, I wouldn't say I've ever really had anything specific, but Paul always really likes to have um, a race before pizza, so he's trying to convert me to having that as my pre-race meal. <laughs> so pizza, is it? And, and would it be a Domino's or a, or a Pizza Hut? No, I think it would probably be a homemade pizza. Oh, even better. <laughs> but yeah. Nothing um, like homemade pizzas. But no, I never really have anything specific, probably, before a race. Okay, um, cool. Favourite season to run in? So are you, are you cold, warm, in between? Oh, I'm definitely warm. I definitely prefer summer. <laughs> oh, that's good. Good answer, good answer. Can you recommend uh, a running item, whether it be like a piece of kit or a, or a book or a film or anything that you can recommend to the listeners to, to use, try or listen to or read? 
Um, this is a difficult one sometimes. So can you repeat the question? Any equipment or? Yeah, so like, like, a, like a running item that you own that you always go to. Some, it, could, it, could any, it could be anything from a phone holder or a running related yeah. book that you've read or film or anything like that. Um, well, I think I wouldn't be able to cope without my Garmin. <laughs> okay, that's, that's a good so answer. Just, no one said that yet. That's, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I think I use that for all my training, all my runs and, and my heart rate strap as well. I've become, I've only started really using my heart rate strap um, the last probably like two, 18 months, two years. And now okay. like it breaks or the battery breaks. I'm like, I can't cope without it. <laughs> cool. Brilliant. So good answer. definitely rely on my heart rate. Excellent. And have you uh, have you heard at all of um, of these Chorus watches? Yeah, I have actually more recently heard. Um, been me and Paul were actually talking about it yesterday, um, okay. and I was looking I was looking up and kind of seeing what the Chorus watches do and things. And they do they actually look great. I um I hadn't really heard of them before, so I'll, I'll definitely look look more into them. Yeah, I think they're definitely taking the running the running world by storm at the moment. Um, they've they seem yeah. to have picked up in pace a lot. Uh, but I've, I've owned one for a couple of years now and it's been obviously for, for the ultra running it's been fantastic because you yeah. just don't have to worry about any charging at all um, and I hear that I, I was reading that they're really good for like multi-sports as well so if you if you want to kind of cycle or or go over more swimming or swimming absolutely. Things, which, um, for cross training is ideal yeah I think that the um they've got a they had a watch release recently and I know we're going off topic here but we'll um, we'll chat about it anyway called the Pace 2 which um Elliot Kipchoge now wears and oh, yeah. um it's uh, it's got some it does some funny algorithm that they've patented some technology in it that will track you to a to an actual track much much quicker so you'll you'll often see on Strava if somebody does a 10k yeah. on the track it goes all over the place and you end up with a really thick orange line but these Pace 2s they just literally pin you to a lane yeah. it's like amazing yeah, no, me and Paul were talking about exactly that last night, actually, and saying mm. that um, that that's that's one of the things that the Coros seems to be really good for is track running. And also, I do a lot of sessions on the track. Um, and yeah, it's always really, in, usually it's always really inaccurate. And it will say you've run like 5.5k when you've, when you've actually only run 5k. Yeah, um, yeah. That, that sounds like a great feature. Yeah, no, they're really good. But anyway, we'll carry on with these with these um with these questions <laughs> do you have a favorite route to run around um in Portsmouth or, or maybe around the Portsmouth area um well recently actually we've um me and Cassie the, one of the girls I train with have been exploring loads of um, ample um and, and Eleanor actually another we've got a really good actually little girls group now going on with Alex but anyway that's a different topic um <laughs> and we've been exploring loads of like um routes kind of north of Emsworth, like Stansted House and Funtington and Fratting, oh, yeah. that area. Like I don't and kind of the south I think it up near what's it called? Um like Harting up there. Oh, yeah, the Harting, yeah. Um and they they've been great. Like you go like for a Sunday run and you hardly see anyone else whilst you're out, which is which is really which we we're really enjoying. And it's nice to do some kind of hills and stuff as well and get off road. Yeah, no for sure. Uh, what's the session you most look forward to uh, to doing during the week? The best training session that you like? Um, I love being on the track. So anything that's on the track, I, I love. And I definitely feel more at home on the track. Um, so I don't know, anything like 1K reps on the track or something like that. We always Perfect. do um, like a marker session with Alex that's like um, 6 or 8K on, on the track, um, which we do. We, which we do kind of 
as as a marker to see see how we're kind of improving. Okay. Um, and that's good. Yeah, that's great. It's a horrible session, but it feels good afterwards. <laughs> that's cool. And finally, because I know I've taken far too much of your time already. Uh, is there anything you'd like to add that we that we haven't spoken about, and particularly maybe something about the running community down here in Portsmouth, which which I know we spoke about earlier, and you and and you you really like being a part of. But anything you can add about it? Um, I just think um, yeah, I think the running community is great. I think I've met so many great people through running, um, and it's it's always nice when you meet new people to run with and to enjoy kind of training or running with. Um, and yeah I think I feel like I'm always meeting new people I think most recently I've met um I don't know if you know Fraser who owns the sports barista um company in Portsmouth oh no I don't know um yeah he's he's um me and Paul met him recently he's great he he gives us um some of his sports barista coffee and um he's just such a lovely chap and um if anyone if anyone wants some really good coffee then check the sports barista out I might have to get him. Sorry, what was his name again? Um, he's called Fraser, but he's kind of he's on Instagram as the Sports Barista. Ah, yes, I know. Okay, sorry, I've had some interaction with him. Uh, I need to maybe get him on the show at some point. I think I think Jacob might have mentioned him in his podcast yes. as well. Actually, Jacob knows him. Yes, that's right. Okay, so so this this co this coffee just before we close off is it is it like a kind of like sports enhancing coffee? Is it is there something in it that? That's... Oh, it's amazing! It's so good. Like I I don't know I don't know what's different about it to other coffee, but something is different about it, and it's just like you just I just feel like I'm buzzing after I've had a, a sports barista coffee. So it, it it always kind of especially in the evening when you've had like a day at work and you've then got a training session. A good sports barista just does the trick. Well, I tell you what, they've been mentioned enough now that I, I, I should really get in touch with Fraser and uh, and see if he'd like to come onto the show to tell us about this coffee because that would be that would be great as well. Um, yeah, no, definitely. I think he's lo looking to kind of expand his business, so I'm sure he'd he'd love to get on the show. Love to support local business. It's great. I think he coaches a bit some of the juniors down at Portsmouth AC as well. So okay, brilliant. Interesting link. There we go. I've I've got a I've got a future tip for a future show. So that's fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, listen, Ren, and thank you so so much for coming onto the show and sharing a running story um, and experiences for us all. I, I really appreciate it. And for me, your running story, like it's one of you know full of confidence, growth, um, and I think also maybe strength and persistence as well. Um, and about the fantastic support that we that we as runners all have around us in the form of like coaches and friends and family and stuff. So I really look forward to following and seeing how you get on in the future. Uh, appreciate the time and I'll let you head off and enjoy your day and your weekend and you thank you for having me it's a pleasure take care take care bye there we go two fantastic um, chats there with some wonderful guests and I hope everyone enjoyed so, so what's next for you then what's next um, what's coming up this week oh just more more building um, like building the mileage building the stress and building my ability to run one mile out and backs <laughs> okay yeah, tragic but um and also lots of work and lots of food and lots of sitting in front of crap christmas movies uh movies and movies and, and music oh, christmas music has started hasn't it you just hear it on the radio all day it's, uh, i mean i quite, I, I quite well, like it there's only one decent christmas album and that's the twisted sister christmas album so Do you know, I, I, again can't can't hear, i have never heard it right well um I'll, I'll i'll put it on facebook for you i'll put Thank it in you. the chat of the um of the facebook post 
That sounds really good. If you could do that, that'd be great. Actually, I've got, I've got a very quick last minute question for you, Dave. And this um, Christmas time always uh, is just reminded me of it because our house always gets like so cluttered with with decorations and boxes that are down for the loft and stuff. But where where do you guys, where do both of you keep your running gear in the house? Have you got like a special place for it or does it just sit? I guess it's easier because you both run. So you yeah. maybe a little bit more forgiving. But wh- where do you keep all your stuff? Oh, do you know what? I, I keep. That's a good question because most of it I keep in this little trunk that I used to take to school with me when I was at boarding school. Oh yeah. And I just throw it all in there, but it's now full to bursting, so it's starting to kind of take over other parts of the house. And do you know what it is? Is that I've hardly bought any running stuff, um, but it's those bloody race t-shirts that you keep on getting that I really need to be sending to reruns. So. Ah, so that's what's bulking it up. Is this like a like a trunk, like an actual like kind of old one of those old uh, like really hard cased um like yeah. suitcases? Yeah, it's like a like a proper old school trunk. Ah, nice, like a, something from Harry Potter. Exactly, exactly. I used to take it on the train with my with my magic owl. <laughs> I bet with those um smelly race T-shirts in there, it's probably there's probably grown some kind of like Harry Potter type creature in there as well, yeah. Yeah, look in there's some kind of like weird freaky like running ghoul. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Listen, dude, thank you so so much for your time, and um, it's always a pleasure to to catch up with you and and chat about everything running related. But yeah. we'll um we'll be on next week. Um, I've got a got a special show next week because it kind of uh lies exactly on the on the week when the show first started last year. So it's effectively our our birthday show, Dave. So Brilliant. hopefully we'll have a cu- couple of treats. Um, and maybe a musical treat if uh, if you if you keep your promise up. Yeah, shall I do a heavy metal happy birthday? <laughs> Would love it, dude. Cannot wait. Awesome. <laughs> look forward to recording with you soon, mate, and look forward to catching up as well for a run next week. Take it easy, dude. All the best. Take care. Bye.